Father, we thank you that you have called us to be a part of what you're doing. Uh, It's absolutely amazing that uh, because of the generosity of this body, just this past week, uh, even those in need had their needs met and they were able to share with others who had need that we didn't know about. Thank you, Father, that from what we can determine, there are 10 new people in heaven because of the generosity of this church. And Lord, we pray that you'll do it more. We pray that there'll be more people who will respond to the glorious gospel of our Savior. Lord, continue to bless us, Lord, and continue to help us to open our hearts and to respond to what you are leading us and telling us to do. God, we pray that you will use us and that you'll use all of these resources, every dime, every penny, to advance your cause. Protect us, Lord, from going down paths that you don't want us to pursue. But may we not miss everything that you have in store for us. God, I just pray, I just pray, Lord, that people will know in this community and around the world that, uh, that we exist not for our glory, but for the glory of God. And may the hope and love of Jesus always be the signature of Fellowship Bible Church. We love you, Father, and thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want everybody to look at your watches. Okay, take a look at your watch. Uh, We got a long ways to go and a short time to get there, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to land a plane just five minutes over, okay? Is that all right? Yeah, so at 12.15, if I see y'all slipping out, I know it ain't all right with you. Okay, lock the doors. No, don't do that. (laughs) Have a ride in this place. If you have your Bibles, I want you to meet me in Hebrews chapter 11. You can leave your Bible open there for a while. Began this series last week on faith. It was a five-part series on faith. I'm not very original in the title because uh, um, everybody I know of for years, I don't know who originated this, but I've heard a lot of people refer to Hebrews chapter 11 as God's Hall of Faith or God's Hall of Fame. And these are biographical snapshots of men and women who trusted and believed God during their moment in history. And I need to say this. I want to underscore this. Uh, please don't, 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 don't forget this. You can go to sleep after I make this statement, okay? But I want you to hear this statement. There is no Christianity apart from faith. There is no Christianity apart from faith. Faith is the Christian life. And Paul put it this way in Colossians 2, verse 6. He says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By faith. How do you live? By faith. And I just need to say this, uh, it's because faith just dominates every page of the Bible. It's all the way through there. I just have to say this to you, that the gaps in your life and the gaps in my life, the gap between where I am and where I need to be, where I am and what I'd like to see God do, what I, where I am and where I need to be, all of that, that gap there is a God-given gap. God gives us gaps to exercise and to grow our faith. Faith is important. Faith is huge. The impact of your Christian life is in direct proportion to your ability to believe God. I mean, that's, that's, that's a major piece. Directly proportionate to your ability to believe God. Um, how many of you have ever been in any of these team building things where you do these kind of things where you got to trust your, the people that you work with, uh, you know, 
I can say I hate those things, but I've been out in them. So, you know, one of them, I remember several years ago, several years ago, uh, the U.S., it was when I was with Campus Crusade for Christ, the U.S. cabinet, we went out to the high Sierras in Northern California and found this dude that uh, does rock climbing and thought he was a kamikaze. And so this was this team building thing. So the next day, they take us to the top of this deal. It's like 200, 250 feet straight down, right? And so they put all these girdle things on you, whatever those deals are. And it was a team building thing. What you had to do is rappel down almost over 200 feet and trust that the two dudes holding your rope wouldn't let it go. Well, I got to tell you, before I went down, I gathered them together and said, if I've ever done anything to you, please forgive me. I will send you Christmas cards and remember your birthday. I really do like you. And, uh, or, or you've been at the one, you've been, yeah, some of us have done these things. You know, you know the, the, the one where, where uh, they take you in another room and they blindfold you and then they take you back in a room and they, ta- they tell you, you can't see a thing, but they tell you your colleagues are standing behind you. And so what you have to do is just fall back and trust that they will catch you. I tell you, I've always cheated on that. And I said, if you let me fall, I'm going to bust you in the jaw. So we, we've done that. But that's, those are great pictures of what faith is all about. Faith never is about the ability to quantify and qualify and affirm and confirm the information before you act. That's not faith. Faith is always, now we have a trustworthy God, but faith is acting on that trust. I said last week that faith, even when it's a noun, it's a verb. Faith is something that you do. It's not about content. It's not about talk. It's not about these things. It's not about wishful thinking. Faith takes action on what we say that we believe. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning this week and for the next three weeks, what I've decided, the way I've organized the text here, what I've decided to do is make each one of the messages a statement because I really believe that's in the back of the mind of the writer of Hebrews. There's an aspect of faith, a doing part of faith that each one of these biographical snapshots is telling us. And so we're going get to get to Abraham today, and here's a statement. The statement today is that faith is obedience. There's no such thing as faith apart from obedience. Faith is obedience. Faith is what you do. Now let me just read, beginning at verse 8, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 8 through verse 12, and then verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac. And Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now drop your eye down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, here in this text, the, writers of, the writer of Hebrews is underscoring the fact that faith is obedience. And he's using the biography of Abraham to drill this down. I think he's saying three big statements about Abraham's obedient faith. He obeyed God, number one, when, it, when he didn't know where he was going. Number two, he obeyed God and we obey God when we don't know when God will fulfill his promise. And then thirdly, he obeyed God and we obey God when we don't know why God is calling us to do the excruciating. This is the legacy of our faith. This is, this is not theoretical. This is, this is big Christian stuff. And this is what God calls us to do. Now, hang in there. I need to drop this into, into a context here. Faith says, faith says that we exist for the glory of God and the accomplishment of his purposes through our lives. That's the reason why you have gaps in your life, and that's the reason why I have gaps in my life. The reason why you, you never have everything that you need the reason why you never have, quote, tangibly the resources that you, that you need is because faith is never about you. Faith is never about me. Faith is not about us. Faith is always about the glory of God, and it makes a statement that God wants to accomplish his purposes through our lives. And so he intentionally never, ever, 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 ever gives us everything that we need to do what he calls us to do. He always gives us the gap because he wants the spotlight to be on his glory. And it's what he wants to do through us. So faith and disobedience are contradictions. The way we press into knowing what God wants, even though we have yet to receive it, remember, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The gap there. The the, the way we, we, we grab a hold of that through literal steps of obedience. Obedience in the darkness. And this drives us to this whole idea that, that faith assumes. Here's the assumption of faith. The assumption of faith is this. Faith assumes God's complete authority to run the affairs of our lives and accomplish his purposes through us. Faith is the acknowledgement of God's authority. When you exercise faith, you're acknowledging God's authority. Faith always says, Crawford, is not about you. It's about God. It's about his authority. It assumes that, that, that God has the right to run my life. It assumes that God has the right to orchestrate the events in my life. Faith assumes that God wants to use me to accomplish what he wants to get done. That's the assumption of faith. And that's the reason why we have faith. And by the way, if you, if you think of it that way, you'll understand that's the reason why God will not tell you everything 
all the details about what he wants done in the future in and through your life. It's not going to happen. He's not going to tell you. Not going to happen. Now, bear with me. The idea of authority has fallen on hard times in our culture. It's fallen on hard times. We, we don't like that concept of authority. We, we, don't, we don't like it. We, we, don't, we don't like somebody telling me what to do. We, we rather view ourselves as cooperating with God. In fact, we have sort of reduced God. We, we think that God exists for our happiness and for our fulfillment and for our joy, and we make these crazy, idiotic conclusions about God that, you know, if he doesn't make me feel good, then that couldn't be God because he's a loving God. And, you know, and so we begin idolizing our own desires, and we begin coddling ourselves, and we start pimping God and using God and, and leveraging God uh, for our lifestyles and for what we want, and we feel like we deserve happiness. But I got to tell you that that's not the faith of the Bible. The faith assumes that God is outside of us. Yes, he's in us. Faith in the Bible assumes that God is sovereign. He's in control. And it's not so much about my happiness, but my happiness and fulfillment comes as a result of doing his will. What he wants. And I got to tell you, in these United States, we we are one entitled group of people. And that's the reason why we plateau in our walk with God. Because we have theologies that make the dastardly assumption that God would never make me do anything that makes me uncomfortable. Who says? Who says? Now, we bristle against anything or anyone who points us toward doing anything that we don't want to do. Now, here's the big takeaway. You can go to sleep. I'll, you know, this summarizes everything. But the point that Abraham teaches us in this text, the point that he teaches us is that without the submission and obedience which faith requires, there will be little or nothing of God about our lives. I want you to hear that. You can play it safe if you want to. You can control your life if you want to. And you know, the irony is God sometimes lets us do that. You, will, you can control your life if you want to. You can play it safe if you want to. You cannot do anything that you can't control if you want to. And what will happen is, is that you will have a veneer of Christianity that won't have any depth. You'll, you'll be a surface Christian. You'll be, you'll be relegated to a bunch of empty plateaus. And you'll be so terribly shallow that there won't be anything supernatural about your life and no supernatural legacy to point to for future generations. But you can do that. And what Abraham teaches us here is that submission and obedience allows God to write his autobiography through my life. And that's what Abraham is showing us. Obedience in the darkness is God's training and breaking process. Yeah, but it's a paradox. Our self-reliance is broken, but our faith is strengthened. It's amazing. The best way of getting your self-reliance broken 
but proving the greatness and magnificence and the power of God is to begin to embrace the faith journey. To begin to embrace it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, one act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. And it's so true. I said this last week, faith, although a noun, is a verb. It is something that we do. Now in the Bible, Abraham is known as the man of faith. He is spoken of as the supreme illustration of faith throughout the Bible. He is the father of faith. Uh, He is the ground of everything that relates to God. Uh, The whole message of justification hovers by faith, hovers around the person and work of Abraham. He is enormous. Abraham is God's picture of how he works with his people, always. God never works in his people's life apart from faith. He won't do anything in your life apart from faith. He won't do anything in my life apart from faith. He won't do anything in this church apart from faith. You can try to control it if you want to. You can try to manage it if you want to. You can try to kind of like keep it over here if you want to. But God will not work in your life and he will not work in my life. He will not work in this church significantly apart from faith. And the saga and journey of Abraham's life is the prototype of how God wants to work through every life, every pilgrim, every follower of Jesus Christ. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, having said that, in this text, Abraham teaches us that faith is obedience. Now, let me give you the three biggies, because I'm going to have to really water ski here. The three biggies in this passage that I read to you. One is, Abraham is teaching us that we obey God when we don't know where we're going. Secondly, we obey God when we don't know when God will fulfill his promises. Thirdly, we obey God when we don't know why God is calling us to do the excruciating. Those are the three big lessons of faith that you learn from Abraham. Not having knowledge is not a reason to not trust God. Abraham teaches us this, that it's always right to trust him. It's always right to believe him. First of all, we obey God when we don't know where we are going, when we don't know where we're going. That's found in uh, Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. Uh, I just read that to you, but hold your finger there and go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. This is the call of Abraham. And I want to read verses 1 through 3, the first, in the first three ver- words uh, uh, of verse uh, 4. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then these three words, there's no dialogue, no discussion, No focus group, 
no test, these three words. So Abram went. When God speaks, you always move. When he speaks, you move. So Abram went. Verse 8 tells us, back in, back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 tells us, we act on what we know. We act on what we know. By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would receive an inheritance. God told him to go. Only thing he knew is that God told him to go. But where was not explained and when he would get there is not explained. The, the, the route was not necessarily explained. When God speaks, you get it in gear. God spoke, Abraham moved. Abraham moved. For he understood God, and he understood that, you know, it's not a good thing to try to negotiate with God. Once his voice is clear, you put it in gear, you move. Now, listen, planning is not wrong. But there are times in our lives in which the Lord will put us in circumstances and give us an assignment where planning is absolutely useless. Now, I'm a great believer in planning. I'm a great believer in doing that. And by the way, there are plenty of passages in the Bible that talk about that. My goodness, a lot of the passages, a lot of the Bible talks about planning. So the Bible's not down on planning as long as planning does not hinder the work of God. As long as your plans does not box God in. As long as the plans reflects what he wants to do and not necessarily my agenda that I'm dictating to God that he ought to do. But Abram got it in gear. He, God spoke, and he moved. Abram was told to leave his country, his people, and his father's household. And he was told nothing about the land to which he must go. I just pray that as I read this myself and I think about my own walk with God, I just pray that every last one of us will develop in our hearts and life a passion for the word of God, that when God speaks, I act. And it will stop procrastinating and stop putting off and stop bargaining with God and stop treating God as if he has some speech impediment. Then when he speaks, we move. We get it in gear. And my goodness, if I don't finish this message, one of the things, and I'm not berating anyone here, neither am I giving anybody a tongue lashing, but I got to tell you, Christianity in, this, in, in the West here is a little bit nauseating. The arrogance by and through which we live for God, we assume that God exists to be our little pet dog or something, that, that he gives us comfort and we can do with him whatever we want and that it's all about my journey. It's all about where I am right now and certainly he exists to make me happy and I'm not fulfilled, so I'll call God, make me happy before I move. No, that's not the way it works. A reverence for God says that when God speaks, we act. We stop treating him as if he's some little glorified counselor on retainer. When God spoke, Abraham moved. He left. Faith not only means to go somewhere, faith often means to leave something. It means to leave something. I had a wonderful joy of spending some time with our oldest son last week. We both were, had the privilege of doing a joint seminar up at uh, 
the Billy Graham Center at the Cove, and it was just wonderful to hang with Brian. Wonderful to be with him. And I find myself thinking, and, you know, we spent some time, by the way, we left there in about an hour or so down the road as the old homestead with my great-grandfather Peter, who was a slave, lived, and we went to the cemetery behind Thomas Chapel, Chapel Amy Zion Cherry. It was just a fabulous, wonderful time of hanging together. You know, all of our kids have left. Every last one of them. Um, you know, and if I had my way, if Karen and I had our way, I, I would want my Brian a pastor maybe on the south side of Atlanta, Brendan a pastor on another part of Atlanta, then my, my daughter Heather and her husband to come and, you know, be the music worship pastor some of the church in Atlanta, and my daughter Holly and her husband, both of them are physicians, so why can't you do your residency? There are a lot of hospitals here. Y'all come on home. No, no, it's not the way it works. You have to teach your children and teach yourself. You better stop controlling your family and stop controlling and having them live out expectations and making the terrible assumption. No, you raise your kids to walk with God. You raise your kids to listen to God. You raise your kids to go. You raise your family to go. You raise them with the understanding that the greatest thing you could ever do is obey God. Even if it means it hurts me. Even if it means that I long to be. And I I found myself thinking that way as we drove on Friday. I said, gee, I wish that. And then the Lord spoke to me. They're doing what God called them to do. Uh, God basically told Abram two things. He told him, number one, to go. That ain't heavy. And he went. But secondly, he, 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 he said what he, God, would do for him. There are four things. This is what he said. This is all Abram had to know. God said, go. And God says, okay, and this is what I'm going to do for you. Abram, I'm going to bless you. Number two, you would become a great nation. Number three, you would be a blessing to many. And number four, you will bless those who bless Israel. And he said, now, where am I going? Are there restaurants there? Is there a hotel there? How long do you want me to travel? When will I know I'm getting closer? Is there a way of evaluating my progress? He said, now, go. And I think the other thing is that we're, he was unattached and, and ready to move. Verses 9 and 10 here. I love it. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I just love the, the, the passionate mobility of Abraham. He's unattached and ready to go. Listen to me. Safety and security, and, and you got to know at this stage in my life, i got to tell you, the older I get, the more there's this temptation to be safe, to be secure. I say to myself, I don't, I don't have the energy like I used to to throw the spaghetti on the wall and whatever sticks would go with it, you know? And there, and you know, some of you need to be shaking your head. Don't act like you ain't there. I know you there too. Uh, you say, never had that experience, liar. And uh, <laughs> safety and security can become idols. 
can become idols. God was calling Abraham to move because he could have trusted his wealth. Abraham was a wealthy dude. He could have said, well, no, no, wait, 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 wait. You know, God's not telling me. I've got all these relationships here and I've got these resources here. We're settled here. Everybody knows me. And God would not have given me this platform and this influence in my culture and tell me to move on. So I'll edit that and I can serve God right where I am. And a lot of us would have done that. And by the way, I hear that a lot. So you're left with a legacy of having controlled your life and having had nice family reunions and everybody was there together. But people die wondering what could have been and what should have been and what leverage for the kingdom I missed because I played it safe and I made mommy and daddy very happy by being here and being able to come over for every birthday. Abraham lived in tents because he had to be ready to move whenever God spoke. He had more of a passion to obey God than to build some type of family compound where everybody would come back to. His legacy was the obedience of God. His legacy and his heritage was God. Uh, George Morrison said, the important thing is not what we live in, but what we look for. As followers of Christ, we are to be flexible and mobile. Every last one of us. Because God is writing his statement through your life during your moment in history. You can either play it safe and make assumptions about God and make assumptions about your family, make assumptions about yourself, but there'd be relatively little supernatural that you leave for succeeding generations. Secondly, we obey God when we don't know when God will fulfill his promise. That's verses 11 and 12. Look at that. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, (laughs) that's cold-blooded, man, (laughs) could you say it more softly? Isn't that terrible? I mean, the Bible is so straight, isn't it? Yo, we're born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, the, 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 the passage that this is summarizing, it's, it's too long, so I'm not going to go back there, is Genesis chapter 15 through chapter 21. This whole section is summarizing this, Abraham going out, Abraham experiencing God and obeying him, even when he didn't know when God would fulfill his promises. The, the key text is Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. That's Paul's summary of uh, those chapters in Genesis. And I'll read it to you, beginning at uh, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. He's really talking about Abra- the promise to Abraham and his seed. He says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. 
in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. This is absolutely remarkable. Abraham was not a young dude. Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years for the fulfillment of the promise of a son. 25 years. 25 years. Living a nomadic life. And if you read the life of Abraham, you know he went through a bunch of incredible nonsense to that knucklehead relative lot of his. And all of this stuff that he went through. And he kept believing he made some bad choices along the way. Continuing to obey God day by day while we wait is one of the most difficult disciplines of life. I guess the advantage of me being at my age right now is is that I can say that statement and not be theoretical. I have been there. I know what it means to wait on the Lord. I know what it means to be embarrassed because an objective that I felt and a vision that I felt in my heart did not get fulfilled then. I know what that feels like. But I want to tell you something. You will never make God work any faster than he wants to work. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I, I, I don't care. You, I, yeah, okay, you got your, you know, MBA from Harvard and this kind of thing. God goes, oh, really? So you're going to tell me I need to make this happen by August the 15th, 2013, or else everything's belly up. Now, I can give life back to the dead, buddy. And by the way, it's not a good thing to dictate to God when he ought to work. I tried that. It don't, it don't work too good. True faith is, is, is able to wait for the fulfillment of God's purposes in God's time. That's true faith. You just keep believing God. You keep believing God. And just because something is not happening when you say you're believing God for it to happen doesn't mean that your faith is null and void. You just keep believing God. It's not a statement of your competence, and this is the problem where you've got to get your flesh out of your faith and be very careful of listening to some of these folks. And I share this as a pastor. Be very careful of listening to some of these folks on TV and all of this where, where faith is what I call prostitution, where they think they can actually buy God off and it's, God's playing some little, this is like going, you know, having the inside track on some racehorse or something. like that. that's, not, that's not faith. You're not going to manipulate God to work. Real faith submits to the authority and the sovereign God of the universe, and it responds to God's heart and intentions. It's deeper than me just getting what I want. One reason why God delayed in sending Abraham and Sarah a son was to to permit all of their natural strength to decline and then disappear. I I want to give somebody hope here today. 
You, some, of, some of you are sitting here right now, right now. You are so discouraged. You are, you are at your wit's end. Things have not worked out. You've been praying and praying and praying and praying. And it is a dead end, a dead end, a dead end, a dead end. Things not only, they look worse since you start praying. Look worse since you start reading your Bible even more. Look worse since you got all the sin out your life. Looks worse. Faith is really always about the glory of God, however. Think about it. Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 89 when Isaac was born. Reproductively, both of them were dead. Faith says, don't you dare tell God what he can or cannot do. Don't do that. And if I can just bear my heart with you as a pastor here. We need to run this church by good business practices. Proverbs is in the book, and there are good business practices in the book of Proverbs. There ain't nothing unspiritual about that. It's in the book. The book of Nehemiah talks about planning. And you, there are all kinds of wonderful planning paradigms in the Bible. But we need to be very careful that we don't begin in the name of, quote, good stewardship to start telling God what he can and cannot do. And when and if he can or cannot work. That's when the church ceases to become the dynamic household of the Spirit of God's operation and work in the world, and it begins to become a corporation. And if we learn anything from Abraham's life, God often brings us to the point of death so that before him no flesh will glory. God is a God of resurrections. And if you're in a dark situation right now, if things are going bleak in your life, don't give up. Even if it looks dead, God is a God of resurrection. God can give life back to the dead. He can revive. He can change. Don't tell God what he can or cannot do. And don't live that in front of your kids. Don't live in front of your kids such a hyper-controlled life that they get a view of Christianity that you can control and manipulate God. No, you can't. And that's the reason why he waited. Abraham walked by faith, not by sight. He knew what God, he knew what God promises. He performs. Now, thirdly and finally, we obey God when we don't know why God is asking us to do the excruciating. Uh, down to verses 17 through 19 again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You know, this story of Isaac always tells us that God wants to bring life out of our dead situations. God wants to bring life out of our dead circumstances, no matter what they may be. Uh, Verses 17 and 18, there's a painful sacrifice that uh, Abraham's called to make. And then verse 19 tells us that there's a supreme trust that God wants him to make. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into that, but I do want to land the plane. 
by making five perspectives on faith and sacrifice that really comes out of this last perspective. And by the way, these things are lodged back in uh, the Genesis, really the writer of Hebrews is, is referring to Genesis chapter chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. This is a story of Abraham offering up his son Isaac, God telling him to slay his son. And the point I want to make to us, by the way, is that the, 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 the issue here is what won't you give up to obey God? I didn't say what will you. That's an easier question to answer. The more honest question is what won't you give up? To obey God. And the offering of Isaac forever stands as God's exclamation mark throughout time that you hold back nothing to obey God. That obedience to God is everything. There is never a reason to disobey God. Never one. Now, let me make five perspectives on faith and sacrifice based upon this reference. And I'll just click them off. One is, the tests of faith become more difficult as we walk with God. not going to lie with you. Anybody that tells you that's been a Christian for 10, 15, 20 years, that ever tells you that the Christian life in terms of steps of faith gets easier is a liar. The truth of the matter is, and the pattern in Scripture, is that the, the more we walk with God, the tests of faith become increasingly more difficult as we walk with Him. And here's the paradox, yet the rewards are more wonderful. <laughs> the rewards are more wonderful. Because on our, way to be, on our way to doing something, we become something. And we test it. Number two, it is one thing to trust God's word when we're waiting for something. It's quite another thing to trust and obey his word after it is received. That's really true. That's the reason why guys like me, you need to pray for me as, as your senior pastor and all of us as leaders. This, what I'm about ready to say to you might shock you. The, the biggest temptation that we experience, or let me just speak for Crawford, the biggest temptation I experience, believe it or not, and this sounds like a weird paradox. By the way, John Perkins, uh, years ago when I was a young Christian leader, he, he warned me of this. We're talking like 25, 30 years ago, he warned me of this. He said to me, Crawford, your biggest struggle, believe it or not, will be when you get to be 50, 60 years old, and even though God's used you in a great way, there is this natural tendency with age to play it safe. And you're going to fall victim to the American mindset of retirement. In other words, I paid my dues. I don't need to be doing that anymore. But there is never a time, God thinks in the reverse, there is never a time. We need to be crossing the finish line, not believing God for less, but believing him for more. Amen? Believing him for more. I want to be 95, 100 years old. Maybe even older than that so I can haunt my grandchildren. I got to get going here. Never mind. Uh, Number three. 
There are tests of faith that defy logic and we want to resist. That's what this offering up of Isaac teaches us. Now, please do not believe the party line that God will never do, tell, call you to do anything that is not logical, that is not reasonable. That's a lie. That's a lie. In fact, I think people who live like that suck the supernatural right out of their Christianity. God does call us to do things from time to time that doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. Why did I become a pastor at age 55? I share this with you. Not be, I, I, I had a lot of other options. Trust me, I did. I could, I could have, you know, chilled and, and wrote some books and done the radio. That was fine. And, and uh, you know, I... And trust me, you've got to be called to be a pastor. (laughs) And the first six months I was here, I was saying, God, did I hear you right? You know, (laughs) and you did too. Did we hear you right about him? (laughs) Number four, true faith holds nothing back from God. But obediently gives him everything he asks, trusting him to provide. True faith holds nothing back. This is my son. God, you gave me that son. And by the way, I want to tell you something here. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. Please, parents, hear me. Do not make your children idols. Don't do that. Don't. I know you love them and you love them. I'd die for my kids. They're number one. Please don't do that. Please do not do that. You're setting yourself up for hurt and you're going to handicap your children's Christianity. When you lay them on the altar before God and you declare before God that they're they're his, interesting, they love you more. My kids, I tell you, I just love them. But you got to stand back and you got to release them. And I think God... Perhaps Isaac was getting a little bit too close to Abraham's heart. And the Lord said, offer him up. And number five, faith is always rewarded. Always. May not be what we think, but God always rewards faith. You know what faith's message really is? I, I, I don't say this to sound like I'm into some type of motivational speak and self-determinism. You know what faith really says? Faith is probably the most liberating thing to experience because you know what it says? Nobody controls my life but God. And when you start exercising faith, it's amazing how it takes the fear of man off the table. Because you, you know nobody, I mean, what, what are they going to do to me? Ain't got no hell to send me to. Thank God, I'd have been there many times. You know? And that's what Abraham learned. And really, faith slays people-pleasing. It really does. Faith is freeing. The only person that controls my life is Jesus. Everything else is negotiable. Let's stand. Thank you for putting up with me. I've been a little long today. A little long, so, no.
And, uh, but thank you for that. And, you know, we had baptisms and others. I don't want to apologize for this service. It was a wonderful time of interaction. But fellowship, can I just push you? And I know faith is a journey, and we all are growing in our faith. But can I just push you? Don't stop believing God for yourself. Don't stop believing God for your children. Don't stop believing God for this church. In fact, wherever a Christian is involved, the greatest thing you can do, if God's called you to be there, is to give them the gift of faith. Faith in Almighty God. I'm incompetent. There are levels of incompetency, and y'all have seen it. I don't even try to hide it from you anymore. Uh, But our God is never incompetent. He is trustworthy. He can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick, as my mama would say. (laughs) He's almighty. And we need to be among those people. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't you die. Don't you die without having believed God. The only legacy we have is that we believe him. The only legacy we have. And I want to encourage all of y'all, their dreams and vision here, stop playing it safe. Would you stop that? Stop being so self-protective. You got to believe him. And if he's telling you to do something, you know that he is, get it in gear and get after it. Suppose I fail, so what? You'd rather die surging ahead than to drown in a crowded sea of apathy and complacency. Father, thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the faith of Abraham. Thank you, O God, that you have told us that faith is obedience. And Lord, I pray that we will not be people who uh, give great lip service to faith and great talks about plans and intentions and great insights about what we want to do next week or tomorrow. But may when you speak to us clearly, It'd be said of us as it was of Abraham. And Abraham went, Oh God, bless us today. Dismiss us with your favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, fellowship. Blessings.